Welcome in to another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. I'm your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It is April 1st, 2021. Make sure you're paying attention on social media today. It is April Fool's, and I feel like already this morning there was a few posts from random pages that kind of like got me for a split second. So April Fool's is always a time for people besides the onion and other satire sites to fuck with you so definitely keep on your toes but it's not just april fools today it is opening day you know i feel like i shouldn't have to clarify which sport i'm talking in opening day because i feel like in the united states when you hear opening day one sport should come to mind but i guess if you're not in the know the clarification is it is mlb it is baseball's opening day it's MLB's opening day for all fi- all 30 MLB teams. There's supposed to be 15 games today. So I'm going to be going to covering opening day. Kind of, you know, some facts going into the season. Going to talk a little bit about the Red Sox since because, hey, this is a Cali Green Monster show. And, hey, if there's a Green Monster, there's got to be some Red Sox talk. I think when the show first started, I told you that my lawyer's required me to have obligatory Red Sox talk and I was you know shoehorning some Red Sox talk in for a while but then I realized dude I don't have any lawyers so I don't have to do obligatory Red Sox talk so now that it's baseball season I feel like there's just going to be you know I can't cover all 30 MLB teams but you know I feel like I can at least cover and keep everyone up to date with you know the Red Sox and you know broadcasting here out of San Diego and the Padres having a pretty good team this year I'll probably be keeping everyone up to date with the Padres and probably up to date with you know the Padres biggest rival up in the north the Los Angeles Dodgers so you know I'm going to keep talking about some baseball later on in the show but Before I do, I want to talk a little bit about football because on yesterday's show, I think I got, I was so into talking UFC and MMA and, you know, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren that I totally, you know, for a show that covers a lot of football, I didn't even cover that the NFL has officially moved their schedule from 16 game regular season games to 17 regular season games. This was something that when the players and the owners did their collective bargaining agreement last year, they had agreed for the option to, you know, increase the season and, you know, it didn't take very long for the owners to do it, whether it was solely because of COVID-19 and the revenues that a lot of these owners lost by not having fans in the stadium, if that's the reason that, or is the sole reason that pushed it, or if this is just something that the owners were going to do regardless. And, you know, the lost revenue from COVID is just something that, you know, they're going to use as an excuse. So with this, that means the preseason schedule is going to get reduced from four preseason games to only three preseason games. The teams are still only going to have one bye week. So I think that the way that it affects the schedule is that the regular season, yeah, just you're going to tack on another, you know, I I think it's another week. And now the Super Bowl is just going to get bumped back one week. So I think that's from my understanding how that's going to go. And, you know, as a fan of the sport, 
I'm super stoked about that. You know, as someone who plays fantasy football, I feel like that adds another week of fantasy football there. That's just another slate of games to watch, and especially another slate of important games. You know, preseason football, I feel like it's just one big cock tease for a month, you know, watching football, but it doesn't really count or matter. And you're just, you know, it's just a lot of speculating at who's going to make the roster and who looks good. And you don't really know shit until week one. So I'm glad that we're just going to be able to get the preseason done with right away and then get another week of football now i know football the actual players are probably not too stoked about this because you know football is a really taxing game there's a reason why they only play the game about once a week and that's why people talk about you know when there's a stretch where a team ends up playing like you know three games in you know in under two weeks whether that's because of playing monday night football and thursday night football being thrown on the schedule that can kind of you know throw a team's schedule out of whack but you know it's very taxing so I know a lot of you know players are definitely not going to be down with it I'm not 100% sure how that affects the game checks because a lot of these dudes when they sign their contracts and their annual salary they were signing it based off playing 16 games so I need to look a little bit more into that as to how that's going to affect players game checks so I'm assuming you know playing more games that you should end up getting more money so we'll kind of see how that works but I think that with the extra games what the NFL could do is they could really try to focus on trying to build some rivalries and especially some like rivalries that are in state or in city so that the way the NFL schedule is kind of set up now is, you know, you have your divisions, right? You know, you have like, you know, so there's four teams per division and every team plays their own divisional opponent twice. So you get two games in division and then they'll have Every year, you're going to play a division in the other conference. So if you're in the AFC, every year you're going to play one of the you know divisions from the NFC, whether it's the NFC South, the East, the West, you know the North. So every year you're going to play only you know four NFC teams. So that means you're only really going to get a chance to play an NFC team like once every four years. So that kind of creates an a thing where like, you know, for example, the LA chargers and the LA Rams, they play out of the same city, the same stadium, and they are only going to be able to play each other once a year or once every four years. So there's really, it's kind of hard to really set up a rivalry there, but I think it'd be dope if like with that extra game, you can kind of shoehorn in these like inner city in-state rivalries you know so like every year you get la rams versus the chargers like every year you get the new york giants and new york jets you know pittsburgh steelers and the philadelphia eagles you know the dallas cowboys and houston texans like it would just be kind of cool to you know really you know get you know fan bases that are in close close proximity to kind of have like I don't know, build these rivalries, you know, in college football. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people like is the traditions. And part of the traditions is the rivalries, you know, USC and Notre Dame are huge rivals. They don't even play in the same conference. You know, USC plays in the Pac-12 and Notre Dame is just independent, but they always book each other to play. And I think that that would be sick if the NFL could really try to focus on like trying to build rivalries and stuff like that and I think that that could be a positive or a benefit of adding a 17th game to the schedule so you know we'll see I think at the end of the day uh, moving the schedule up to 17 games was something that was 
going to happen and inevitably there's too much money on the table for the, the the owners to not push for that and especially when the collective bargaining agreement left that option on the table you know it was only a matter of time before that happened so you know as a fan overall super stoked with that but as i mentioned at the beginning of the show it's mlb opening day so let's move on to some baseball talk a sip of my latte all right before i get into you know opening day and talking about some of these opening day like some fun facts that i found on usa today that i thought would be cool to share on the show there was some big news coming out of new york francisco lindor the shortstop that the new york mets had traded for from cleveland he signed a 10-year 341 million dollar contract so that's now the third I think the third richest contract in the MLB behind Mookie Betts and um, Mike Trout. You know, earlier in the offseason, Fernando Tatis, the shortstop from San Diego, he signed a 14-year, $340 million contract. So I think that's where the $341 million came from, from Francisco Lindor. You know, he wanted to make sure he just got $1 million more. And he's also going to be getting that over 10 years versus Fernando Tatis's 14. So you might be wondering, you know, what's the difference between why did Francisco get Lindor get such a larger, you know, average annual, you know, salary versus Fernando Tatis when arguably, you know, there's a lot of people that think Fernando Tatis is a better shortstop than Francisco Lindor. You know, I mean, there's a lot of other people that think Lindor's better, but, you know, that's just a debate that, you know, sports fans can have in the sports bar. But, you know, so why is it that Francisco Lindor has such a larger average annual salary? And it really comes down to, you know, he had a lot of leverage with this you know it was a deal that basically Lindor had to make and a deal that the Mets had to make you know the Mets traded and gave up a lot to or you know they they had they brought in Francisco Lindor and after this season he's supposed to be a free agent so you know you don't bring in a guy like that to basically be one of the faces of your franchise and something that you're going to try to build a foundation and risk losing him in free agency in the off season. So they definitely wanted to sign him, you know. And versus Fernando Tatis, he has less than two years of MLB experience. So the Padres technically didn't have to pay him, you know, for another three or four years before he hit free agency. So they weren't even at risk of losing Fernando Tatis, and they didn't even have to give him big money so I think that that's at the end of the day why you know the contracts are different but you know it was something that you know as I said the Mets needed to make that deal and Francisco Lindor needed to make that deal as well because if he were to go out and get hurt this year or have a really bad season you know 341 million dollars that could you know drop to 200 million or a lot less really quick so you know I think it's pretty hard when someone brings you know 300 million or 300 million plus to you and you know that's probably pretty hard to turn down so, you know, Francisco Lindor, he's going to be a New York Met. And, you know, the New York Mets, they're, you know, they're going to be pretty solid. But, you know, I still don't think that it's going to be enough for them to win the NL East. But, you know, I'll talk about that a little bit later when I'm making my picks, you know, for who's going to win the division and who's going to win the World Series this year. So, yeah, let me move on to this article that I found on USA Today. And it was kind of basically some facts you know some opening day trivia and statistics and things just to kind of pay attention to 
And, you know, I just thought it was kind of interesting. And I figure rather than just taking some notes and kind of riffing on what I'd remember, I figure I will just read off it. So you know, before I start that, let me take a sip of my latte. All right, let's do it. So opening day streaks. The St. Louis Cardinals catcher Yadier Molina has made 16 consecutive opening day starts. And if he's behind the plate Thursday against the Cincinnati Reds, he'll become only the second catcher in MLB history with as many as 17 in a row. Hall of Famer Yvonne Rodriguez holds the record with 20 in a row on opening day. Three-time Cy Young Award winner Clayton Kershaw of the Los Angeles Dodgers is scheduled to make his ninth opening day start. Among active pitchers, only Justin Verlander with 12 has made more. Other opening day stat leaders among active players. So opening day home runs, you know, Bryce Harper with five. That's tied with Albert Pujols. You know, Albert Pujols has been in the league a lot long, a lot longer than Bryce Harper. So it's pretty crazy that, you know, Bryce Harper has the same amount and leads all active baseball players with opening day home runs. So, you know, you could almost book on opening day if you're a better you know, if, the, if you can find some odds that Bryce Harper's going to hit a home run today, I'd put some money on it. And some other dudes that have hit a lot of home runs on opening day, there's a bunch of guys tied with four home runs. you got Nelson Cruz, Chris Davis, Yvonne Longoria, Yadier Molina, Mike Moustakis, Giancarlo Stanton, all have four home runs. So, you know, we'll, keep, we'll see if anyone can add to that. Albert Pujols has leads um, active hitters and opening day RBIs with 15. Clayton Kershaw has five opening day wins. That's tied for most with Justin Verlander at five. So there's a bunch of players that are going to be coming back this season who sat out last year due to COVID. So we got the 2012, the 2012 NL MVP and six-time All-Star Buster Posey of the Giants is coming back. The Dodgers are going to be welcoming back David Price. You know, he's a former Cy Young winner, but he's actually going to be – Dodgers are so deep in their rotation. He's actually going to be playing – coming out of the bullpen. You got all-star Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals, Lorenzo Kane of the Brewers, Marcus Stroman of the Mets. So, you know, so a lot of these dudes are going to be coming back after a season away. We got Albert Pujols, who's entering his 21st season. So he's actually ranked 16th all time in games played with 2,862 games. And with a full season, Pujols has the potential to move up to eighth place in, in total games played, passing people like Brooks, Brooks Robinson, Adrian Beltre, Omar Vizquel, Dave Winfield, Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, Cal Ripken Jr. And. Pujols ranks fifth all time with 662 career home runs. So that's just 38 home runs shy of becoming the fourth player ever to reach 700. The only other players to have reached 700, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds. And then if Pujols can hit 34 home runs this season, he'll tie A-Rod for fourth place overall. So you got Miguel Cabrera. He's got some milestones as well. He's two-time AL MVP, and he's within striking distance of two important numbers in his career totals. So he is 13 home runs away from joining 500 home runs. Only 29 players in history have hit that many home runs in their career. 
Miguel Cabrera is also just 134 hits away from reaching 3,000 career hits and becoming just the 33rd player in Major League history to accomplish that feat. You know, and when you look at people that in recent history that have joined that 3,000 hit club, you have Albert Pujols in 2018, Adrian Beltre in 2017, Ichiro in 2016, A Rod in 2015, and Jeter in 2011. So those are all, you know, future Hall of Famers, some of the best players in the game. So, you know, if you can reach 3,000 hits, that's an incredible milestone. There was a Bernie Mac movie, I think, in the two, like around 2004 that came out called Mr. 3000, where he literally retired after his 3,000th hit because that at the time he thought that, you know, 3,000 hits would get him in the, into the MLB Hall of Fame. So, but I'm not here to talk about Mr. 3000. I'm here to talk about some of these, you know, cool milestones and things to look out for. You know, kind of like Max Scherzer, he's only 216 strikeouts away from becoming the 19th pitcher in history to reach 3,000 strikeouts in his career. You know, not too many people have done it. That's a pretty cool milestone to do. You know, in recent memory, Verlander and Sabathia both did it in 2019. And then it took, you know, that was those were the first in 11 years since John Smoltz in 2008, Pedro Martinez in 2007, Kurt Schilling in 2006, Greg Maddox in 2005, and Randy Johnson in 2000. So, you know, when you listen, all those dudes that I listed, those are all either Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers. So, you know, again, 3,000 hits or 3,000 strikeouts, those were amazing milestones to hit. So Max Scherzer, a former Detroit Tiger, and Miguel Cabrera, a Detroit Tiger, you know, they're about to hit some, you know, pretty big milestones in their career. So, you know, assuming no postponements, every major league team is supposed to play its opening day game today. But, you know, you know, moving on to, I guess, one of the teams, like I said, I'm going to cover the Boston Red Sox. They were supposed to open their game or open their season today at Fenway Park against the Baltimore Orioles. But prior to me leaving, you know, my my home today to come record the show. I got word that the Boston Red Sox game is postponed till tomorrow. There, I guess it's a rain delay, and there was no sign of it letting up. So, nope, no, no Red Sox opening day. But you know, I figure it's not gonna. It doesn't stop me from kind of talking a little bit about them and seeing what I think they'll do this season. You know, so the Boston Red Sox, when you look at their lineup, they've got some good bats. You know, we got Kike Fernandez that we added this season from Boston or from Los Angeles. Alex Verdugo, another guy that we got from Los Angeles, but we got him back in the Mookie Betts trade. We got J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers. You know, we even have Hunter Renfo and Marwin Gonzalez that are okay. So, you know, we got some good bats and a decent lineup, but, you know, I think last year our pitching was one of the worst in the MLB, and we really don't have that much good pitching this year. You know, our ace or the guy that's supposed to be pitching opening day is Nathan Eovoldi, and while he was good helping us win a World Series back in 2018, I don't think anyone would mistake Eovoldi as an ace of you know, an MLB, an MLB team, especially a team that's trying to compete for a division or a playoff spot. So, you know, we have Chris Sale, who's trying to re- recover from Tommy John surgery. He's throwing a baseball, but apparently he hasn't even thrown off a mound yet. So there's, you know, they're optimistic that he'll come back in 2021. 
But the fact that there really is no timetable other than he might come back in 2021, that's not a good sign. So I don't think that the Red Sox are going to have the greatest season this year. If they can somehow finish above 500, I would would consider that a success. I don't think they're going to get a wild card spot. So, you know, as a Red Sox fan, I'll be paying attention to them and, you know, seeing how they're doing and, you know, seeing if any of these young guys can develop good. And, you know, Xander Bogarts is one of the best shortstops in the game. So we could see if, you know, if he can deliver an an MVP caliber season. But, you know, so I figure they're not going to be that competitive. But, you know, being here in San Diego, we actually have a competitive team. You know, they're one of the teams that have some of the best odds to win a World Series. So, you know, I do want to be able, you know, the Padres are going to be, a team that I'm going to be following and in particular, you know, the Padres and the Dodgers, because, you know, it's just the Padres have one of the best odds to win the world series, but the team that does have the best odds to win the world series is just, you know, a couple hours North drive up the five freeway, you know, the Dodgers have, you know, they've basically become the new Yankees, but I think even better, you know, growing up, the Yankees were that, you know, the evil empire, the team that spends all the money to get all the players. And I feel like, you know, now that's what the Dodgers do. But not only that, because it's not like they're out buying their team. They're also a team that just knows how to develop players as well. You know, they've, you know, people that have grown up through their system. And they also always have assets to be able to trade and bring in players because I feel like it seems like every year whenever there's a big guy that's out on the trade market the Dodgers are able to pull it off because they have so many prospects and you think that whenever a team empties their you know their prospect cover to bring in a player and make a big trade that they wouldn't be able to make a trade for you know any more like like in the near future, but it seems like every year, year in, year out, they've got prospects galore. So, you know, the Dodgers are just an excellently run organization. And, you know, it's it's kind of a shame that the Padres have to, their big rival in the division and just rival in general is basically the best team, the team that won the World Series and the team that's favored to win the World Series again. You know, I know that repeating is something that's, you know, hard to do, but this Dodgers team is definitely capable of doing that. They've got an incredible pitching rotation. You know, they got Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, Dustin May. You know, they have former Cy Young winner David Price that, you know, he couldn't even crack the rotation. So he's going to be coming out of the bullpen. You know, so they've got an incredible bullpen. They've got a great lineup, you know, with the likes of Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Max Muncy, A.J. Pollock. You know, so they've got, you know, bats. They've got arms. They've got a great team. You know, the Padres, I feel like they've done a good job to try and stay competitive. They brought in some arms. They brought in Blake Snell and Hugh Darvish to go along with Denilson Lamette and Chris Paddock. You know, they had brought in Mike Clevenger from Cleveland, you know, but he had Tommy John, so he's going to miss the entire 2021 season. But I think, you know, the Padres should have enough good arms to be competitive. You know, they've got some good bats. You know, there are no slouches in their lineup. They got Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, Will Myers. You know, so the Padres will definitely be competitive. And I'm hoping at some point this, you know, this season I could be able to catch a Dodger Padre game. You know, Petco's not far away from my apartment. I should be fully vaccinated by before May. So hopefully I could catch a game. But, you know, you never know. 
I think at the end of the day, though, the Dodgers are probably going to win the NL West. So if we're going to hope for some success for the Padres and some, you know, baseball or World Series aspirations, it's probably going to have to go through the wild card route. So, you know, I guess before I end the show, I guess I can just kind of run through just off the top of my head who I think is going to win each division. So I think we got the Dodgers in the NL West, got the Cardinals in the NL Central, got the Atlanta Braves in the NL East, and then moving to the American League. A lot of people are hyping the Angels, but I think they're a bunch of losers, so I don't believe they're going to get shit done. So I think it's going to be Houston in the AL West. I'm going to go take the Chicago White Sox in the AL Central. And I hate the fucking team, but I'm going to take the Yankees in the AL East. And there you have it. So... That's been a Cali Green Monster show. I appreciate everyone that's taking the time to download and listen. And you know, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you know, rate, review, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, if you enjoyed what you listen, be a friend, tell a friend. If not, you could just pretend you never listened to the show. But until next time, I've been your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. Have a great one, guys. Peace.